Welcome to the Men at Work podcast, episode 23. I'm your host, Travis Streb. Today, I've got Mike Cameron joining me on the show. Mike is an entrepreneur, an author, a speaker. He's an endurance athlete and is based in Canada, which makes him even more awesome. Just finished writing a book called Becoming a Better Man. And it's really about Mike's journey to deepening and widening and opening as a man. And we talked a lot about his book, um, but more than that, we talked about Mike's uh, you know, real tragic story about you know, coming into becoming a better man um, through a tragic situation with his partner a few years ago. We talked about his research. You know, Mike spent something like 20 years looking at the impact of emotion on human behavior. We talked about the, you know, the need for men to really tap into emotion and how they might go about doing that and, and how to express it in a, in a really healthy way. We talked about vulnerability. We talked about this framework that Mike has for, for really opening up, which is you know, slowing down, opening up, accepting and reconnecting. You know, mostly though, we talked about the, the book and Becoming a Better Man is, is a beautiful piece of work by Mike. It's gonna be available on November 1st uh, on Amazon, or you could pick it up in a traditional bookstore if you need to. I've linked it all up in the show notes for you, but this is a great conversation with a you know, deeply connected man that I know you're gonna get a lot out of. So let us jump into episode number 23. So let me, let me ask you this, Mike, you, you came into the world of men's work. You've got a book out now, but I mean, you're, you're a corporate guy, a little bit like me. So you came at it through a, a different lens, but what's, what's your love story with, um, with the world of the world of men that you're now leading? Oh, dude. Um, well, I'm, I'm not quite sure how to sort of back into this one because, you know, it, it, it sort of rev- revolves around sort of my, my key story. So, you know, I don't know if you want to hop there first or um, where you want to go, but that, that's, you know, that event was, was sort of what brought me into the, into the men's space out of the corporate stuff. So, well, I mean, you're, look, I mean, I know, I know your story about, about Colleen, it's heartbreaking. I don't think my listeners, um, know it. And I think it's a really important part of, you know, what makes you the kind of raw, unfiltered, uh, you know, vulnerable guy that you are today that's out leading, uh, leading this next generation of men. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, th- I think, you know, not unlike a lot of men, um, at 42 years old, I found myself separated um, with two kids and, you know, sort of trying to navigate that world and just, head spinning, what the hell's going on kind of thing. So started doing sort of some of the inner work, the personal work, uh, found yoga, found meditation, that kind of thing. Uh, went on to meet a, a an absolutely incredible woman. Um, and yeah, that uh, it, w- it was just an absolutely incredible, incredible piece of my life. And you know, as you can tell, I, I, I sort of stumble a little bit uh, having this conversation just because I, because I never quite know where to, to, to dive in. But um, 
you know, what, what ended up happening was um, she had a, an ex-boyfriend uh, that was a problem and uh, wouldn't leave her alone. She'd done all the right things, had all the right paperwork, had the right restraining orders, um, filed all the, the follow-ups um, when he wouldn't leave her alone. Um, long story short, you know, Colleen ended up, she stayed over at my place on uh, Thursday night, October first and we woke up together October 2nd she taught yoga at 6 a.m and so came around my side of the bed gave me a kiss and said goodbye and I said have fun at yoga and unfortunately those were the last words I ever said to her her uh, ex-boyfriend ambushed her in her driveway as she was headed to she had to stop at home and grab some grab a change of clothes or something and uh he ambushed her in, in her on her driveway and, and shot and killed her and subsequently took his own life. And so that was kind of the, the beginning for me. Um, you know, you talked about my corporate work and where, where I've really focused the last two decades is studying the impact that emotion has on human behavior um, in the context of sales and leadership. So I've done a number of you know, sales presentations. Uh, as a sales guy, I've, you know, worked hard to sort of hone my craft. And, you know, obviously, when we're talking about making that sales connection, it's about making that emotional connection with our customers. So, you know, I'm a guy that likes to, when I do things, I like to do it well. So I spent a lot of time and energy sort of researching how to best do that. How do I, how, how do, how do emotions impact the way we show up in the world? And, you know, to me, my world, that was sales and leadership. But after Colleen was killed, I realized, again, just the ramifications of that in everyday life are fucking huge. And, you know, I had so many people because, you know, I'm a bit of a crusader when I when I find something I, I grab onto it and uh, won't let go. So I, you know, I had a lot of people that sort of wanted me to go after the justice system, which surely failed her. You know, like I said, she'd done all the right things, filed all the right paperworks and, and all the follow-ups. And, but, you know, to me, when I sort of looked at where can I make the biggest impact in the world, I thought, you know, how do we build a better restraining order is kind of akin to putting a Band-Aid on a ruptured jugular. Um, we're talking about addressing the symptom, not the problem. So, you know, again, as a guy that's been a professional speaker, um, for over 20 years. And, and again, my area of expertise is, is emotions and sales and leadership. I thought, you know what, where can I make a real impact? And when I look at how, again, the question comes back to forget about the restraining orders. I mean, how do we prevent men like this from existing in the first place? And, you know, certainly mental health is a big issue. Um, but it's that sort of disconnection with, with our emotional selves. And so that's where I started focusing because, I mean, frankly, emotionally connected men don't fucking kill people. We talk, you talked about this at the beginning that a lot of the ills of the world stem back to that. So, you know, when we're talking about domestic violence, domestic abuse, whether we're talking about synagogue shootings, whether we're talking about, you know, Pick, pick a calamity, a tragedy. Um, and if there's a man at the root, 
again, that, that sort of lack of connection with the emotional self. And, you know, again, I'm no psychologist. I don't have my PhD in psychology, but I got, I got 50 years of living and uh, 25 years of, of research and practice um, in that area. So, yeah, I mean, look, man, I mean, that's a, I've heard that story you know, I've heard you tell it on stage and it's, it's fucking heartbreaking, man, because, and I'll, I'll tell you, you know, for me personally, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking because I live, I live a version of that three days a week when my, my wife gets up and teaches yoga in the morning, you know, and I get the 6am or 4.30am kiss. And when I heard that, man, it just cracked me open. I'm like, shit. Um, but that's the point. Yeah. It, it, it cracked me open and, and I didn't experience what you experienced, but I, I love the, what I love is the conclusion you came to, which is, is to take a different approach, like the masculine approach to a situation like that is, well, how do I, how do I fix this thing? Like, what do I need to fix? You know, there's gotta be some, and you know, fix the justice system or we'll fix the, the policing system or the restraining, it'll make a better restraining order. And, um, you know, you and I are working on, on, on the same, I think the same spectrum, which is, well, it's actually healing, the healing of, of the masculine heart that, that will help us solve, I think, a lot of the challenges we're dealing with and, and things as traumatic as, as you know, murder. Um, mm -hmm. Well, and, and, you know, as you said, like, that's the, the problem. Men are, are, are hurting. Yeah. They're, they're hurting everywhere. And, it, it, you know, it doesn't always manifest as violent acts but certainly that that's part of it. Yeah. It's not, it's not always overt violence. And, you know, in your case, it was the most extreme version of that and what it, what a tragic thing. But a lot of times it's like, it seems subtle. It's a, you know, lack of reverence for the fact that we live in the natural world and that, and that we're a part of it. And we can't, you know, we can't just continue to take a linear approach to how we try to, you know, fix the environment. Right. Or, you know, and, and I, you know, I, I would imagine that you might cover this in your book, but I'm sure you've experienced it like in relationship, you know, it's, you're not, there's, there's no problem to solve. A lot of times it's like tapping into what are you feeling? And, and so can you, maybe you can say more about, um, about your, the bridge between this, you know, emotion in sales and leadership. Cause I think the emotional piece is huge. And you know, how that bridges into this idea of becoming a better man, because that, you know, the topic of your new book, I'm fascinated by, I love, I love how you're so blunt with it too, just becoming a better man. I'm like, what man wouldn't want this book? <laughs> well, and, it, and it's funny, because I, I don't know, it'll be interesting to, to sort of see the, rea the reaction out there, because um, I, I kind of wrestled with that a, a little bit, um, because the, the book isn't prescriptive. You know, it's, it's my story. Um, and I've had a lot of sort of um, fairly significant events uh, over the course of my life. So it's just my story and, and the lessons I've learned. And it's about me trying fucking hard to become a better man. So this isn't about me telling you to become a better man. This is about my journey trying to become a better man. And here's some of the lessons I've learned along the way. And maybe you can learn from them. Maybe, maybe you can't. Um, but at least hopefully some of the stories are, are somewhat entertaining. Um, cause I did some pretty stupid things when I was young. So, Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you, do you want to say more about that? Oh, uh, just, uh, you know, <laughs> again, typical teenage stuff, playing with drugs and alcohol and, um, 
yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, I think one of the chapters is rebels, booze and boxcars. Um, <laughs> you know, I, th I talk about uh, train hopping, killing time, jumping trains and, you know, again, just doing, doing really, really stuff that I've got a, my boy will be 19 in uh, October on October 28th. So, you know, stuff that I would be absolutely horrified to learn that he was doing. Um, so, so that kind of thing. So, so I just, I, you know, again, just, I talk about my journey and, and sort of how I ended up there. Um, I think there's probably a, a follow-up to it that, that is a little more prescriptive and a little more workbooky. So at the end of each chapter, I do ask a couple of questions. I'm a big proponent of asking the right questions. You know, you, you said you do coaching work. So um, I think you, you understand the power of, of good questions. Um, so really, that's for me where it starts is asking ourselves the right questions. Um, and we don't often do that so so that that emotional connection piece so from a sales front you know i've talked about that we make decisions based on emotion justified by logic so if we want to help our customers with our buying decision we need to make that emotional connection obviously the logical piece has to be there there has to be a need the pricing has to be right uh, all of that kind of stuff but ultimately they make the decision based on how is this purchase going to make us feel so if we can tap into that feeling piece, that's how we actually increase, increase our sales potential. Um, <clears throat> so again, actively exploring that as a sales guy is, is critical. Um, but like I said, you know, when I look at, you know, the, the man that killed Colleen and then took his own life, I mean, there's a man that made a decision with very permanent consequences based on a very temporary emotion. I mean, emotions are ephemeral. They, they're fleeting. Um, so we, we don't really, you know, people talk about reaction and responding and don't react to, you know, respond. You don't have a fucking choice. You have an emotional reaction, whether you like it or not. The key is to be able to grab that, take a pause, just slow down, take a breath, sit with it, learn from it and then respond. And so I, I use the acronym SOAR, um, slow down, open up, accept whatever's coming up without judgment and reconnect with your emotional selves. Cause, and I use the, the term reconnect versus connect. Uh, and I, and I tell this to, to my female friends all the time. I said, ladies, you got to give us a break. We weren't born knuckle dragon mouth breathers. We've been conditioned to become that way. So this is about reconnecting with our emotional selves. Cause again, any, anybody that's a parent and has had a toddler, they're pretty connected with their emotions, right? They're going to let you know how they're feeling in the moment like that. Uh, so, so really, again, it's, it's about slowing down, opening up and, and sharing, accepting what comes up without judgment. And, and that's a, big, big piece of it, because I, I think we get into this cycle about, well, I shouldn't feel that, or I shouldn't this, or I shouldn't that. And then it just becomes this negative spiral because you don't have a choice in how you feel. Well, well I should, I think, you know, I'm, I want to, I want to actually break that down. I mean, this is the, the SOAR, the SOAR acronym. And this is, this I would imagine is, is, is um, part of the book, right? No, it's actually not. Oh, really? Okay. So, so like I said, I, there's, there's definitely a follow-up piece. The, the book is really story, like it, it, it's, it's 
it's it's a, it's more memoir, um, yeah. sort of s- s- combined with self help. So so I do ask the questions, I talk about the lessons, um, but I don't break it down into sort of a, a technical level because I didn't want it to be sort of this prescriptive. This is how you should do things. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can you can save that for the you know for the sequel. Yes. So. Let me, I want to, so I want, I do want to revisit this acronym for a second though. I mean, slow down, open up, accept, reconnect. Um, the open up piece, I, for me anyway, you know, that, that's been the, the hardest part. Um, how, like, where does that show up? I mean, and, and what does it look like when you've got a guy who's actually opening up? Because I think it's misunderstood. I mean, it, it doesn't need to be, you know, this massive outpouring, but like, what, what could it be? Right. Experience in this area. Yeah, I mean, for me, the the open up piece was, you know, when when Colleen was killed, I had a choice. You know, I could I could turtle, I could curl up into a little ball, and I could lay on the floor and I could cry my eyes out, um, or I could get up and and try and do something and and actually share how I felt in the moment. So for me, that was being open. Um, and again, part of that being open, you talk, you use the word showing up, um, or the term showing up, which I love because, because that's what it's about is just having the courage to truly show up as you are, how you feel and, and not hiding that. And that, you know, we've talked we talk about the masks of masculinity and, and, and all these different analogies, but for sure, like, it's just about having the courage to be who the fuck you are in the, in the moment uh, and understanding that that's okay. Well, um, and, and, and more than okay, because if you, I mean, if you go back to your sales example, you know, feeling and, and emotional connection, you know, increases sales. I would argue it, you know, it's, that's probably because it increases your connection with whatever human being you're selling to. And, you know, I mean, I, I guess you know, my experience has been that that's the edge is the, is the, I think opening up to, to being open to the fact that you're feeling something at all. Yes. Uh, and then, and then expressing it in, in some kind of healthy way. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, like I said, I, I had started doing sort of the, the inner work, the personal work. Um, and I spent, you know, probably three years doing that before I started act- actively dating again. Um, but what I realized in the last maybe two years or, or so, like a, after Colleen was killed, that there's a piece missing or there was a piece missing for me. Again, I've been very open with where I'm at, uh, at any given moment. Uh, I've shared, actively shared my journey in the hopes that it can impact others. But what I realized I was missing was that deeper vulnerability piece. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure you follow Brene Brown's work. She talks about vulnerability being the core of all emotions. Um, and, and if we really want to make that emotional connection, I think to your, to your point, um, we, we need to practice vulnerability. And by definition, you can't fucking practice vulnerability alone. <laughs> like you just can't. So, that's when I started looking at, okay, where are there opportunities to practice vulnerability? 
Um, and so what I ended up doing was, was I've got a, a men's group uh, that I run here uh, in Edmonton and I've created a bit of a framework based on a, a couple other frameworks and I've just done some tweaks and, 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 uh, and, and twists to it. But we get together, you know, once a week uh, for two hours and we literally, you know, people, well, what do you guys do? Well, we, we practice feeling. As silly as that may sound, we literally practice feeling. Um, you know, I think it's widely accepted that, you know, if you and I want to get stronger, more fit, we go to the gym a couple of times a week. Well, what do you do if you want to get emotionally fit? There, there's nothing. There is no opportunity to practice that um, in a safe and controlled environment. So that's what I've created. So I... Um, I go to November Project, which is a, a free fitness movement. I'm not sure if you, you've heard of it. Um, I haven't heard of it, no. Yeah, it's, they're, they're in, I don't know, 40 some odd cities across the globe. And it, it's basically, their, their hashtag is just show up. So it, it's all about free fitness. Just show up and we run hills or we run stairs. Um, so it's just a community sort of initiative. So I, ca I call this what um, our connected men's group, I call this, NP November project for your emotional fitness. <laughs> I like um, it. You just show up. You just show up and uh, that's it. Um, you know, and, and we practice that SOAR acronym. We practice slowing down. We practice opening up. We practice accepting and just reconnecting with, with our emotional selves. And it's not about fixing. And that's, that's a huge, huge, huge piece of it. You know, we talk about holding space. Um, and it, it's, it's been really cool because, you know, I'll call the guys on it when they're asking questions. So, you know, I facilitate, um, but it's kind of, it's a peer led. So the guys now have gotten to a point where they get it. They understand the questions to ask. So sometimes you'll get a guy that will, you know, if he's sharing something that's going on in his life, the other guys will start asking him questions that you can tell are designed to lead him to the solution. And so we'll call him on it. Like, hey, dude, no. I said, what we need to do is ask him, what, like, what does that really feel like? Describe that for me. Get deeper. What, what's underneath that? You know, that's not anger. What's underneath that? Oh, that's shame. Okay, what does that feel like? Let's just take a pause and sit with that. And let's not fix it for him. Let's let him fucking sit with it. Because none of us ever do. We get busy at work. We create websites, we write blogs, we get on social media, we run 100-mile ultramarathons. We do podcasts. We do podcasts. <laughs> but we don't just slow down and let ourselves feel. So that, that's what we practice. Um, and, and I just, I think that's so, so, so critical because as, as I said, I mean, one of my uh, my partner now, Michelle, like she just loves that, that phrase, emotionally connected men don't kill people. Um, and, you know, if we could just solve that, which I think is what, you know, we're all working towards, all of us that sort of work in this space, um, there's just so many issues that we solve. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, a men's group is, is, a, is a great way. I mean, I run one here in Vancouver as well. Um, you know, we, we do, we do a lot less talking than I think a lot of men's groups. I mean, we, we did three hours last night. Um, we we're just breathing the whole time. 
but the, the the end game is the same as I, you know, I'm trying to really get men, I mean, you know, myself included to reconnect with their hearts, but to do it through their bodies. That's, you know, it's an embodiment group. Um, but it, it's, I, I love the, I love your point about getting busy because mm. this is the, this is the plight of the modern man. And certainly the, I mean, and, and you know, modern people in society and I'm, I'm in that space right now. I mean, it's just, be, it's become a busy time. The fall seems to be busy in, in my line of work. And I have a, I have a quote that I actually engraved on the back of my iPad that I used to take all my coaching notes on. And it says, busy isn't deep. So what the world is needing from men is more depth, you know, more yeah. depth of awareness, more depth of breath, more depth of consciousness, more depth of emotion. And when we're busy, we're not deep. And I mean, even right now, I know, you know, my, I got my, my, one of my daughters is away, but one's home and my wife's home. And, you know, they've been subtly giving me feedback, you know, through their nonverbal communication that I am in my head and I'm busy and I'm just not serving the world in, you know, in, in, in the same way. And I think the book that you've wrought about becoming a better man, what I love is it's, it's a, you know, one man's journey to achieving depth and you know yeah one of one of the one of the chapters is titled into the numb and that's so that's exactly what i talk about i mean we do so many things to avoid feeling um and you know some of that stems from from childhood um you know as kids we just didn't have the coping mechanisms the skills to deal with some of the shit that life threw at us so we would avoid or we'd find ways to go into the numb, which, you know, was wonderful when we were kids and probably served us well. But if we don't break out of that and we carry that over into our adult lives, um, it does not serve us well at all. Well, how does a, how does a guy listening to this, how, I mean, how do you thaw out? <laughs> you know, like how do you, if, if you're frozen, you know, you're totally numb, is it, you know, do you, is it kind of like the traditional approach where you, you know, you jump in a super hot shower and just deal with the pain? Like what's, what's a good approach for a guy to take that, that knows he's a bit numb? Well, I, and again, I, I, I use the acronym, the, the SOAR acronym. So just slow down. So that's the first start. And, and I find it even, you know, having the conversation with you, I get amped up about these conversations. And so, you know, you may notice so that's, I just intentionally, very intentionally just take a pause. You know, they can't see me, but you know, I'll close my eyes and I'll just take a pause. And for me, it starts, you, you touched on it, the physical. As guys, we're really fucking good at knowing what we're feeling physically. So start there. So like really start there. Okay. Right. In, I'm feeling cold. My toes a little cramped. I can feel the chair on the back of my, my legs. And just once you can start to notice what's going on physically, then what I find at least is you'll start to notice what's going on in here in the heart. And it's just taking a moment to acknowledge that. And for, for most guys, that's scary as fuck. Um, 
but it's powerful. Like it's so, so, so powerful. And, you know, I'm sure you've seen it, but you know, when, when we sit around a group of eight to 12 guys and, and, you know, we have these, you know, I call them conversations, but they're, they're less conversation and more feeling practices. Um, it's just, it's incredible, incredible what comes up. Um, and the, the relief that I see with guys when they realize that, fuck, I can just be me. I can drop all the bullshit. I don't have to put on this mask, this facade, this, I don't have to in here. I don't have to be the provider. I don't have to be the hero. I don't have to be the guy that fixes everything. I can just be the wonderfully, perfectly imperfect me. And I could be broken and that's okay. It's just, yeah, it, ah, yeah, it's, it's, it's just so, so, so powerful. It's a, you know, it's, it's a real blessing of, as a practice and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to know that there's, um, you know, there's a guy across the prairies leading a group like this. And, and, you know, now you've got, you know, you've got a book coming out and, you know, you've got your, your Ted talk and all this stuff in it, but that, that practice alone is one that um, my teacher, uh, John Wineland has, has given to me and, and the group that I'm in, the men's group I'm in, which is the practice of do nothing. You know, literally, you're not trying to breathe a certain way. You don't try to sit a certain way. It's not meditation. And there's, you know, there's some guys, some guys that have been, you know, given, hey, hey, man, you got, you got a little bit of money and some time, you know, two hours a day, do nothing. And it's about slowing down enough to allow whatever needs to come to the surface to come. And it doesn't need, I mean, I think part of the, the myth out there is that this needs to be tears. Right. Everything has to be sadness. And sometimes what bubbles up is like, shit, man, life is, uh, has been good to me right now. Like in this moment, things are great. And to let that surface, like it, and I think that's, that's part of the challenge I'm, I find with, um, with bringing men into men's work is a lot of them feel like, oh, are you expecting me to cry? And I'm like, no, man, if like, if things are rock and roll for you, great. I, I had a, a good friend of mine last night we did a really, really deep breath practice. And some of the guys were reflecting on what came up out of it. And he's like, I just started, I was smiling ear to ear, man. It was amazing. I was just feeling good about my life. I'm like, that's great. Like, that's a feeling. And you should feel that shit. Like, you, you know, as men were like, oh, I, like, I can't feel good. I got to punish myself or, you know, do an ultra marathon. Or for me, it's like, go ride my bike for a hundred miles. <laughs> you know, it's- Totally. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's funny. Cause I had one guy when, when we first started this, uh, he was interested, but he sent me a note and said, yeah, you know, I'm not sure if this is right for me. I'm not sure the guys want me showing up and talking about how good life is because life is really fucking awesome for me right now. And I'm like, dude, really? Like when Wayne Gretzky was at the peak of his career here, do you think the other guys said, geez, I hope Wayne doesn't show up because he's going to make us all feel bad because he's so good? No. And, and the other thing is, did Wayne Gretzky stop showing up for practice when he was at his peak? Hell no. We still need to practice even when we're at the top of our game and the, the peers around us don't begrudge us for that. They look at that and say, man, I want to play like Wayne one day. It's um, 
it's that is that is a, that is a real fact, and I think it's um, you know this assumption that doing men's work implies you're broken, or you know buying it buying your book implies that you're not a good man. Um, you know, there's always there's always more depth, and always you, you know there's there's always a, a better. Um, yes. It, it, yeah, well, that's so the back the back cover of my book. I start with three things I know. Masculinity isn't toxic. There are a lot of good men's out, good men out there, and I can always be a better man. I, and and uh, I, you know, I read that in in the brief, and I thought, especially the the first one. Yes, I really connected to that in, in this time. Um, I did a, um, I was assisting at a workshop with with my teacher in New York uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was a co-ed, you know, kind of relational yoga workshop in essence, and there was a lot, you know, it's, it's New York city. It's kind of the epicenter of me too. And, and there's just, you know, you got, you got the Trump, you know, Trump towers right there. It's, it's, there's a lot of, and you know, wall street and all the kind of all what could be toxic masculinity showing up. And so that came out, um, especially for a lot of the women in the group. And I'm wondering if you can share a little more about this idea that masculinity isn't toxic because you know, I don't know if that's the conventional wisdom today. Well, and I, I kind of feel like, it, I don't know, I feel like it's misunderstood. I talk about that in my introduction. That's the only time I use the term toxic masculinity in the book is in my introduction because I just feel like I need to address it. Um, other than that, I don't. You know, there's nothing toxic about having a beer with the boys. There's nothing toxic about sporting a beard. There's nothing toxic about being physically strong. There's nothing toxic about scratching your nuts in public. Like, I mean, some people might disagree with the last maybe one. Maybe not in your sales meeting. What's that? Maybe not in the sales meeting. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not in the sales meeting. But yeah, but there, you know, the, the, what, what gets toxic is this um, stereotypical bullshit that we all tend to accept that I have to be this way or I have to be that way. That's where the toxicity comes in. You know, again, coming back to that, we make decisions based on emotion justified by logic. And again, there's all kinds of science behind this. Dr. Antonio Damasio uh, is a great one to look up if you, if you want to re research that. Um, but if we don't understand the underlying emotions that drive the decisions we make, we have zero chance of living a fully awakened existence. Um, and, and I think that that's what's potentially toxic is we don't understand how we feel. Or and we're unwilling to, unwilling to express it in a healthy way. Yeah, absolutely. So but it starts, it starts with the awareness, right? If, if we don't know what we don't know, we have no choice about how we express it, right? So again, back to sort of Eckhart Tolle talks about um, with awareness comes choice. Um, if we don't know what we don't know and our girlfriend dumps us, we get angry, we buy a gun, we do stupid things. If we understand what's going on, now we have a choice about how we deal with that. You know, maybe I need to go talk to somebody. Maybe I need to go grab some friends and have that conversation. We have choice. So yeah, I think that's what's toxic about masculinity is, is the, or potentially toxic, is this overarching theme that we're not allowed to feel shit. Um, 
and you know, to the women out there, we need your help with that too. It, it's been really interesting for me. Um, and I've seen in a few instances, women that will echo that sentiment, yet their behavior is completely different. Um, we had one guy in our group that was, um, yeah, I, sorry, I got to be a little cautious about confidentiality. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we had, we had uh, one guy whose partner um, referred him to me. And when we started doing the work, she started mocking him. Um, and, and I, you know, I've, I've, I've got to think that she probably felt a little threatened because, you know, now he's doing the work and he's getting his shit together. And while it seemed like a great idea at the beginning, and again, I, I don't know for sure, but yeah, as, as soon as he started going down that path, it was uncomfortable for her uh, and she stopped being supportive of it. And so it's, yeah, it's, we, we need your help too, ladies, like big time. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it's interesting, right? I mean, you get a, you get a man or get a, you know, a woman kind of refers, refers her guy over. Um, you know, I think the other, the other piece that I've seen is, is where you have, um, you know, you have, you have partners that are kind of reprimanding their men into being better men. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, doesn't always work that way. And certainly it's not, you know, there, there aren't a lot of men out there that respond super well to being, you know, reprimanded into be, <laughs> becoming better men. Which is, I think, why the work that you're doing and, and the fact that you've shared your story is, is so powerful. Because you're giving, you're giving men not a, not a map necessarily, but you're showing them here's one, one version of one man's blueprint to becoming a better man and where you can find threads in your own life. You know, that's, that's a good place to start. So I know you're not offering a prescription, but... Um, I am curious where, you know, where does a guy start if he's picking up your book for the first time? I mean, obviously read it, but where, where would be a, a good jumping off point? Is it related to the sore analogy or like, what is it? Yeah. Again, I think slowing down and I love your, you know, the practice of doing nothing. Um, you know, my partner now, that's a real challenge for her as well. Um, so I, we started with, you know, five minutes. I said, do nothing for five minutes. And for me, again, I've been kind of doing that work for a while. So I thought, well, five minutes is easy. Well, for her, five minutes is freaking hard. So we backed that off. Like, let's 30 seconds, 60 seconds. Let's just do nothing. No phone, no distraction. Like, really just sit doing nothing for 60 seconds. If that's where you are, then start there. So um, it's a bit like the November project, you know, just show up to the just show up doing nothing. And if you only have 30 seconds, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe that's long enough to bring enough awareness for you to realize what, you know, what needs to come through. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's building those. So one of the things I talk about in the book is the reason I stopped trying. Um, and I know I start to sound like Bart Simpson, can't win, don't try. Um, <laughs> but I stopped trying because I think trying is a, is a poor choice in word. And I shifted from trying to practicing, right? So if we talk about meditation, 
I'm sure you, you could tell me dozens of guys that have tried meditation and it didn't work. Well, you don't try meditation, you practice meditation. Um, and, and there's no failing. When, when you practice, you don't fail. When you try something, that makes this pass-fail mentality. So if we shift out of trying and into practicing, it just it gives us permission to, you know, when we try something, we either pass or we fail. When we practice something, we just get a little bit better every time. So that has become a big shift in mindset for me, moving from trying to practicing. It's a, a beautiful way to put it, um, especially because, you know, if you were to show up to anything new, you know, whether it's, you know, playing an instrument, trying a new sport, you know, whatever your thing is, you're, you're going to suck at it. Probably. You're, I mean, unless you're moving from like, Oh, I used to run marathons and now I'm doing ultra marathons. You might be okay. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's like, you're not going to be good. And I try to, I try to bring this into, um, into my group as well. And my coaching is like, here's a, here's a practice for you please acknowledge that the first time is, is not likely going to be transformative for you, but you might, you might find you can get into it. And whether it's a process or a meditation or a breath, the other piece I find interesting, man, is like, I do a lot of meditation with the men's group that I lead. And what I found is for me and, and certainly the guys that most of the guys I'm working with, it's not that easy just to jump into a meditative state. Yes. Like, you know, men, you know, we've been, we got pretty dense nervous systems, right? We've been programmed that way. And part of meditation, like, I think you got to peel back some layers. Like last night we, we did, you know, meditation. I didn't tell them we were doing meditation. We did meditation. It took us like 30 to 40 minutes of kind of movement, some physicality, some, some more intense breath before their bodies were open enough and their nervous systems were open enough to actually move into a meditative state. Um, and I think that's a big, a big thing. It's like, look at a lot of the meditation, you know, the imagery of it. It's like, just, it's usually, usually a, you know, a female sitting on a, some kind of block and she's in lotus position and she's, you know, in bliss. And it's like, you know, that takes a bit to get into, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a practice to move into that state. Totally. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the things I, I talk, I talk about exactly that in the book, you've got to suck to succeed. Um, and I use the analogy when I, when I got into triathlon, um, and, and, and I, again, I use this story. Um, we make decisions based on emotion justified by logic. So my, my kids were in triathlon at quite a young age and my son, when he was 12, you know, the distances were starting to get a little bit real there. I think he did, you know, a 500 meter swim a 15 or 20 K bike and a three K run. And he finishes up and he comes around and gives me a big old high five at the end. And he looks at me and he says, dad, you should do Kelowna with me. And Kelowna, Kelowna Apple Triathlon had a try a try And a try a try is 300 meter swim. I think it's a 15 or 20K bike and a 3K run. I'm like, oh, I can do that. So I said, yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I made the decision based on emotion. I got a proud papa moment. <laughs> Chris just finished his his triathlon and asks me to to do one with him. It's like hell yeah. What else am I gonna say? And then when I backed away from that, I started thinking like, shit, dude, I can't swim. How am I gonna do this? And yeah, just from you know, I thought, well, 300 meters, yeah, it's not that far. I can figure that out. And then when I got in the pool and realized like, dude, I can't even swim 25 meters, let alone 300. Um, and just again, it's you know that practice. So I did what all good 
tech geeks do. And I Googled, how do you swim? And I found a program that, you know, took me from 25 meters to 300 meters. I've got this, it's funny, I've got this story in my head about how terrible I am at swimming. Um, you know, I've been an athlete for a long time and tons and tons of endurance sports. And I, I attempted to train for a triathlon many years ago. And um, I remember just being in the pool in North Van and, and there was a, the, the swim club was there and there's like these nine-year-old girls just blowing by me. And I'm like, yeah, this is not for me. And I, I gave up. But I keep talking about it. I'm like, and everyone says to me, like you, and I read, you know, I, I listened to your um, your talk about this. It's like, you can learn how to do it. And part of me is just like, I don't want to learn a new thing. <laughs> but it's it's so true. You, you know, you got to suck to succeed. Um, now, you're, you got, you have two kids, right, Mike? Yes. And how old are they? Uh, Chris will be 19 at the end of this month. And my daughter will be 17 in December. Okay, so you got a few years on me. I got a nine-year-old girl and a thirteen-year-old girl. Oh, so uh, yeah, yeah. I'm. I I want to change gears a little bit and ask you a bit more about that because, you know, in your journey to you know becoming a better man, which you know will end the day that you die and the day that I die. <laughs> how how does parenting play into this? Oh yeah, I mean I think parenting is huge and it comes back to that showing up. Um, and for me, that was a problem for for a very long time you know I, again I could sort of go into some of the challenges that I had with my marriage but part of it was that sort of emotional suppression suppression the numbing um, you know I dove into my work I'm I'm extremely successful by by all standard measures um, but I found myself sort of bouncing around the outside of you know, my ex-wife and, and the kids um, and just realizing that that was not what I wanted um, and that I really needed to start showing up better for my kids. I mean, again, it, it, what's really interesting and certainly writing the book helped me reflect on some of this. I mean, I was a great dad. I coached soccer. I was, we read to my, to my kids, um, my daughter was more of a reader herself, so we didn't read to her as long, but my son didn't like to read, but he loved to be read to. So literally read to him every night until he was probably almost 14 years old. Um, like it just was a, a thing that we did. So, you know, I was there almost every night at bedtime, unless I was out of town, um, which wasn't a ton. I coached soccer, I was at all their games, I was at all their things, but in hindsight, I'm not sure I was showing up as much as I thought I was showing up. Um, so that, you know, that's a great little check-in as far as where, where are you and how are you showing up? Because being physically present isn't showing up. That's a, <laughs> that is a great quote. I'm going to put that, put that in the Instagram <laughs> or in the, uh, the podcast headline. So that's a good, it's, it's good. I mean, you're, you're ticking all the boxes right? You're doing all the things that a, you know, a quote unquote good dad should be doing. And there's the should piece there. You should be coaching soccer, but the quality of the, of your, of your awareness, the quality of the time you're spending was potentially low. Yeah. And so, you, you know, I, I know that there are a lot of men listening to this podcast, you know, maybe in the same boat and I was in the same boat too. It's like, I was ticking, ticking a lot of the boxes. You know, I was 
I was working, providing. I was, I was home most nights, unless I was traveling, same thing. But really when I think about how much of that same tape was playing in my head of like, I don't have enough, I don't have enough, I don't have enough. That was the thing that got in the way of connection. So, you know, yes. again, we're going back to the sore analogy. Totally. <laughs> slow down. You slow down enough to realize like, oh shit, I'm having the same thought loop I've been having for the last four days and it's dominating my thoughts and creating a huge disconnection with my family. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe something's got to change. Yeah. When something's got to change, maybe it's you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's, so I'll touch on that. That was the, the subtitle of the book. And that, that really came out of uh, after Colleen was killed, you know, I had so many good friends surround me and pat me on the back and sort of drop their head and shake their head. Something's got to change. Something's got to change. And that, that kind of became my mantra. Uh, every morning as I'd, I'd look in the mirror and I'd shake my head and I'd say, Fuck, something's got to change. Something's got to change. And then, you know, what switched everything for me was when I added those three words to the end, I looked in the mirror and I said, maybe it's you. Uh, and so that personal accountability piece is huge. But to go back to your, your comment on connection, I love connection as a word. Um, it, it's so critical. And, and Michelle and I were just, talking about this uh, the other day um, before we start and especially as parents this was one of my Instagram stories recently I talked about this um, before we start prescribing things lecturing our kids telling them how things need to be because that's what we tend to do as parents right I mean I'm 50 years old he's 18 I know how things need to be and I mean frankly there are some things that need to be certain ways but before we start imparting our wisdom, we need to create connection first. So yeah, Michelle and I were just talking about, you know, there's ways we can do that. My son is now 18. You can, you can legally drink in Alberta at 18. Um, so shortly after his 18th birthday, that was one of the big connection pieces for us. He, he, he actually doesn't drink anymore because he found it just didn't do anything for him. But you know, when I could, take him out for a beer and do those quote unquote manly things, that connection piece changed dramatically rather than, you know, me sitting in the living room, lecturing him about, dude, you need to get a job. You need to do this. You need to do that. So before we start giving, giving out advice or wisdom, we need to make sure we've got connection first. Um, and that's huge. That's, that's probably a great lesson for anyone listening. And I, I mean, that shows up in so many different ways. Immediately when you were talking about that, um, well, first of all, I thought about the, you know, the talk that my dad gave me, which was uh, pretty lame. <laughs> I, I think it was two sentences if I count it. He's, I, I got home at like, you know, three in the morning or something. I was at, at the breakfast table at 1130 in the morning the next day and he came down and it was like, uh, your mother, your mother wanted me to speak to you. And he said, uh, don't drink a drive and uh, wear a condom. <laughs> and that was the end. Yeah. He got up and walked away and I kept eating my, you know, my cereal. Um, there's no connection though, right? I mean, yeah. it's, part, it's, it's part of it. The other, the other part where it shows up and is I find this a lot in the corporate world where, where I've got, and it's, 
you know, it's usually men, but you know, I won't, I won't be exclusive on that. It's like, they want to know how they can give feedback to people and they're like, Oh, what's the model? What's the model? There's a scarf model or you know, whatever these models are for, for giving feedback to their team members. And I'm like, well, yeah, you should, I mean, structure is important, but there's like 10 models, use whatever one you want. Uh, by the way, if you don't have a relationship with these people, your feedback is worth nothing. So you're wasting your time. <laughs> so it's like, totally. if there's no connection, like why, why would I trust you to give me, like you give me feedback. I'm like, thank you for the feedback. I'm going to listen and then totally ignore it because there's no connection. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. You're right. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, parenting is an easy one to point at, uh, but you're right. It, it, it happens everywhere. Well, and it, again, as a, as a professional speaker, that's, I've got to make a connection with the audience first. Nobody's going to listen to me until we've got some kind of connection. I mean, even this podcast, having the conversation with anybody that's listening, nobody gives a shit about what you and I think unless they feel some kind of connection to us. And that comes back to the O, the open piece. Yeah. Right. So if I can be open and really let you in, then hopefully we've got a connection. And then we can, then it becomes a two-way street. I mean, we've got that open stream. I can learn from you. You can learn from me. And I will actually hear you and I will see you. And, you know, that, <laughs> that to me, it, you know, sums up the gist of what you're trying to get at with your work and with this idea of becoming a better man. It's like someone's got to jump first to make that connection and and maybe it's you right? yeah. like you said um so i'm gonna you know i think i think we can leave it at that mike i could probably talk to you for three days straight and yeah um, have an amazing time and i know you got a you got a book you're launching on november the first called becoming a better man and i'm i want to make sure my listeners know where they can go to find the book where they can go to find out more about you um and you know i think this it sounds like it it sounds like it could be a transformative book in the sense that there's no advice being dished out. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I hope so. Uh, it was interesting. My business partner just finished it and, and uh, he, he texted me on Friday night and he says, dude, I'm like, yo, he says, this book is fucking amazing. He goes, I'm only on page 50, but I don't want to put it down. And then he phoned me and he's like, this is not what I expected at all. I'm like, good. <laughs> And this is a guy I've, who's been my business partner for almost 15 years. Now he so. knows you, you, know, you made the connection. So the, so the book's coming out on the first day after Halloween. It'd be perfect, perfect read for any kind of Halloween hangover you're having, sugar, yes. sugar hangover, whatever else you're eating on Halloween. Totally. Um, so where do people go to find out about it? Uh, MikeCameron.ca is kind of my home on the web. Uh, Instagram, at Axiom Mike, A-X-I-O-M-M-I-K-E. Uh, Twitter is the same handle. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, Instagram, I've been doing for probably the last two months now, I've been doing daily stories. So I take just one little topic. It's whatever happens to be coming up in my life. And I'll try and digest that down into 60 seconds uh, and throw it up in, into an Instagram story. So I'm starting to archive those now. Um, I've been getting a lot of feedback. I also have a YouTube channel. Um, that documents some of my run journeys. And that's just uh, Mike Cameron runs uh, on YouTube. 
but yeah, somebody was giving me shit because Instagram stories are, are kind of an easy way out because they disappear after 24 hours. I said, yeah, but that's why I do them. Cause if I fuck up, they're, they're gone. Um, yeah. And, and, and people watch them. So <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> they disappear or not. I mean, everything disappears. I mean, how many times do you go back to the same YouTube video twice? And <laughs> right. Well, I, I'll link this all up in the show notes, Mike, um, as well for people so that they've got it. But yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just so grateful that that you've wrote this book, that you're doing this work and, um, and that you're sharing in such a vulnerable way. I mean, the book is, you know, as you said, there's no advice being dished out, but more or less, it's like a, it's more, it's like a, a blueprint for vulnerability and connection, really showing up and, and just being an, a, an open, connected man in the modern world. So thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for being on the podcast. And um, for my listeners out there, yeah, you know, definitely find Mike, find the book. I'll make sure you can get at it. And um, yeah, good luck with the launch. That's a wrap on episode 23 with Mike Cameron. If you want to know more about Mike, uh, his book, or any of the things we talked about, I'm going to link up everything in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show and you're liking the Men at Work podcast, I would love for you to write a review for me. Uh, give me a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this podcast from. It would sure help me bring this work to more people. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week.